If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we are disappointed, sad, grieving. There weren't any pride parades this year, at least not like what we're usually looking forward to. That meant much less glitter in June than we are accustomed to. It's the right thing, of course. Rescheduling public events like a pride parade is a community effort to say we're all in this together. The queer community is always good about protecting the vulnerable, in part because queer beloveds have less access to health care and insurance. The queer community knows how to respond even when political leadership is in denial or ignorant or actively making things worse. Those who have ears, let them hear, and those who have eyes, let them see. So we're drawing on the prayers of pride past and meditating on the parable of the pride parade to remind us that we have much to learn about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a pride parade. No forms to fill out, no clearance issued, no dress code, no documentation. All are welcome, really. Everybody's in, really. The kingdom of heaven is like a pride parade, a celebration of abundance, life, streets of glitter, dancing down the sidewalks, a party for all of creation, fearfully and wonderfully made. The kingdom of heaven is like a pride parade, a protest against bigotry, against hate, against fear, a protest against the idea that only some of us are worthy, a protest against anything that does not lift up love. The kingdom of heaven is like a pride parade. So thy kingdom come, Holy One. Thy kingdom come. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, 
for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. On what feels like the 2 millionth and 73rd day of the year of COVID-19, this passage currently holds the number one spot for things pastors regret complaining about in the time before the Rona. That's what this story is, right? It's about a disturbance in the worship service, an interrupted sermon, and I just know a bunch of pastors right now who are begging for someone to interrupt their sermon as we record and stream worship. Our congregation has not met in person for worship since early March because of the pandemic. So these days, it's just me and Rick, the director of communications, and the camera in the sanctuary. No one is dropping hymnals. No one is loudly unwrapping candy. No one is blowing their nose or trying to clear their throat in a way that would register on the Richter scale. People think children are disruptive during church, but it's really the adults. Adults are so loud. I've never had a child's cell phone ring in the middle of a pastoral prayer and then again during the sermon. But adults, y'all, adults are the noisiest. And it's possible that's what Jesus thought as he was preaching and was interrupted that day in the synagogue. It really doesn't take much time in the pulpit to learn this, even though according to Mark, this is just the second sermon Jesus has preached. It's, well, it's likely that he had already discovered how loud adults can be in church. The Gospel of Mark moves pretty quickly. Remember, we're only in the first chapter, but Jesus has already picked up some disciples. They immediately went to Capernaum, where the first thing Jesus did was go to church, and his mama must have been so proud. By verse 25, and that's just 25 verses into the first chapter of the entire Gospel, Jesus is asked to perform an exorcism. That escalated quickly. But before the exorcism, Jesus preached. We aren't given the sermon manuscript. The sermon was not recorded, not uploaded onto Vimeo, not available for download as a podcast. But it would be so great to know what Jesus said, like really great to know. 
After all, according to the text, it must have been really good. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. It could have been the length that the people liked so much. If this sermon was based on Jesus' first sermon, it was probably brief. Jesus' first sermon was fewer than 20 words. It's in verse 15 of this same chapter of Mark. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, here's the sermon, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. A sermon in less than 20 words. We don't get any ideas. We don't know how long this second sermon went, but it was off to a good start. We are told that the people were astounded. But we'll have to come back to this because it's just after this astounding that the sermon is interrupted. Just then, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. The man made a ruckus, or the story says that the spirit within him made a ruckus. The demon-possessed man was loud and disruptive until Jesus commanded the spirit to come out of him. Well, for some, demon possession is real, part of the unseen forces of good and evil. And Jesus' response has become a model for what to do when possession is suspected. For others, possession just isn't a believable scenario. Although, as Fred Craddock points out, not believing in demons has hardly eradicated evil in our world. But of course, even those of us who aren't sure about demons or unclean spirits Possession is not quite as foreign of an event as we pretend it to be, for most of us have had first-hand experience with it. Most of us have been possessed by jealousy or envy that has made us stingy or ungrateful. Some of the most shocking cases of possession happen when people are behind the wheel of a vehicle. Someone doesn't use their blinker or takes too long to make a turn, and all of a sudden we're speculating on the character of that person's mother, which we would never do under any other circumstances except that we have been possessed by the raw power of driving a car. It is often theorized that what was described as demon possession in the ancient world was really a mental health struggle or some other illness that had yet to be identified. It is sometimes suggested that this man was a person with schizophrenia or undiagnosed as bipolar. And it is certainly possible. We know so much more about brain health these days and what influences behavior that we just assume that that's what Mark was really describing. We should be careful, though, about diagnosing the man in the biblical text with mental illness especially if it is just because we do not believe in demon possession. Mental illness gets blamed for all sorts of things, most notably mass shootings. But studies show that the convenient cries of mental illness after mass shootings are factually wrong and stigmatize people with mental health concerns. People with mental illness are actually more likely to be victims than perpetrators of violence, including violence committed by police. 
One of the reasons mental illness is used to explain away unthinkable violence is because most mass shootings are perpetrated by white men. If the shooter is black or brown, we are supposed to believe the narrative that it's because black culture is inherently violent or non-Christian ideology is inherently violent. But when the shooter is white, white people like to comfort ourselves by saying, he must have been crazy. Because otherwise, we would then have to take a hard look at straight white masculinity and how it is killing all of us and question why we refuse to do something about it. But back to when the sermon was interrupted. It, it was right after, immediately the text says, right after we are told that the people were astounded at his teaching. Astounded. Now, that is the word preachers want to hear from the congregation as we shake hands in the receiving line. Astounded. It sounds like it comes with fireworks, a pay raise, and a bigger steeple. No weary preaching from Jesus. No laborious preaching from Jesus. He astounded them. In the Greek, the word translated astounded is ekleso. This is actually our cue that an exorcism is next. For ekpleso means to expel by a blow, to drive out or away, to strike one out of self-possession. Let me say that again. To astound is to strike one out of self-possession. So perhaps no one was patting Jesus on the back and telling him what a great sermon it was, preacher. He had astounded them. He had cast something out of them. So it's kind of a miracle only one person interrupted that sermon. So with that in mind, reimagine with me, if you will, that Sabbath so long ago and the sermon Jesus preached what the people eventually called a new teaching, a sermon that providentially hindered the status quo that day. It expelled privilege and dogma, which is to say that Jesus preached the good news. It's good news to the poor and marginalized anyway, not necessarily good news to the comfortable and the privileged, which could be why it doesn't get preached in too many white churches these days wouldn't, wouldn't want to offend anyone. But Jesus did not worry about taking it easy on church people. He just preached the good news. And not surprisingly, they were astounded, which is another way of saying that Jesus upset a few people. In fact, one man was so upset he began yelling, accusing Jesus of trying to destroy them, or in modern church vernacular, he accused Jesus of heresy, of challenging dogma and doctrine, and couldn't believe Jesus would suggest that things be done differently than the way they have always been done. No wonder the man started yelling. He had heard something that threatened something deep inside. I don't know what was so offensive to him in particular, but I can certainly name a few things that cause disturbances in today's church. 
try taking the American flag out of the sanctuary, or replacing pictures of white Jesus with images of the brown-skinned Middle Eastern Jew that he was. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't back down. Jesus raised his eyebrows, channeled his Magnificat singing mama, and held fast to the good news. Jesus saw that there was a person underneath all that self-possession and called that self-possession right out of the congregation and right out of that man. The man survived, you know, without all that self-possession, whatever it was. It wasn't who he was anyway. It was a cover, a security blanket, embedded theology, what he had been raised on. There was a human being struggling to be seen under all that self-possession. And he was finally recognizable. To use theological language, we, we call what happened salvation. So maybe we don't need the manuscript from Jesus' sermon that day. Perhaps Mark knew that We have plenty of dogma and ideology and privilege and self-possession to expel, to cast out. We are just a week away from a national holiday that celebrates when freedom from tyranny came for some Americans. So it is a convenient time for us to consider what else we need independence from It is just the right time for us to think about what we need to break free from, those things that we should cast out of our churches and cast out of our hearts. Much is changing right now or on the verge of changing, and we can see that as threatening, something to yell about, or we can see that as the very life and action of the Spirit calling us to a new teaching. It is time to drive out oppression, white supremacy, our obsession with freedom that comes without responsibilities. It is time to cast out nationalism and blind faith. It is time to declare our independence. It will be like an exorcism. For as Harry Condobolo says, The last place the colonizer leaves is your mind. So to borrow a line from our teacher Jesus, come out of them. Oh, that we might all be astounded. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. Mayflower also has a full church school for children of all ages available during the 11 a.m. service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.